poverty it's, it's, it just gets worse you know you know like they say the rich get richer and the poor get poorer that's definitely the case here at the moment it's it's very sad to see uh, i can see it in cape town like we've always had an element of begging on the streets but it's really got out of control now there's a lot of people really really desperate out there i'm danny valent and this is dirty linen the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about this fortnight on dirty linen we are traveling all around the world and today takes us to cape town south africa and chef and restaurateur liam tomlin Liam's known to Australian restaurant watchers through his time in Sydney at Bank Restaurant, which earned three hats. He's been in South Africa for a while and he's uh, a partner in five different restaurants. Liam, thank you so much for coming to have a chat to us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Tell me where we find you today. Today I'm in uh, a little place called Hermanas, which is a couple of hours outside of um, Cape Town. So just we've just been given, um, they've just lifted the alcohol ban here in South Africa. So decided to go away for a weekend before the chaos starts now. We have to go back now and reopen all our restaurants, thankfully. Wow. Uh, that's, I mean, that's such good news, though. So I know that in South Africa since, was it since March, uh, alcohol has been banned throughout the country. Yeah, since March to ni- March 19th. So I think it's about 25 weeks we haven't been able to sell alcohol. And you just found out yesterday that that situation was changing. Yeah, the president announced it uh, last night. So from Tuesday, next Tuesday, we're allowed to trade again as normal. That's fantastic. That must be such an enormous relief. But I, guess, I suppose, as you say, that entails a massive amount of work to be done in a short time. Yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's, it is a big relief. Unfortunately, it's too late for many. A lot of restaurants in the last five months have had to close up permanently. Um, and it's quite difficult even still. I mean, I think the challenges are going to be huge going forward because our borders are still closed. So we don't have any international travel, um, which many of the restaurants, and especially in Cape Town, it's really a tourist destination. So we really rely on those tourists. So um, until the borders are lifted and until people are confident again to travel, I think we've got very challenging times ahead of us. Yeah. Well, take us back through the months of the pandemic and and to what happened in March. What was the thinking behind banning alcohol? They banned all alcohol sales and all cigarette sales, tobacco sales. Um, and the idea was to keep the ICU units um, free for COVID patients. So to try and reduce, obviously, drink driving, domestic abuse, you know, all the stuff that comes with alcohol-related incidents, um, which, you know, everybody sort of understood for the first two or three weeks. But, you know, as months went on and on, it just became more and more difficult and ridiculous. Um, You know, the numbers here aren't as high as other countries around the world, um, which is quite surprising, really, when you think, you know, it is a third world country. It's not as prepared as other countries for a pandemic like this. But we've, we seem to manage to control it fairly well. Um, like when I say, when you compare it, say, to the UK, Spain, Italy, um, America, you know, South America. So it, it just didn't make sense to continue this ban because all we could see was just businesses going out of um, 
out of business on a daily basis. So it was a very drastic measure to take. It's really drastic. And I think whenever you ban something, you push it underground. And uh, the idea of illegal alcohol stills and sales uh, is quite alarming in a, in a scenario where you're trying to encourage people to socially distance and, um, yeah, to maintain yeah, absolutely. that sort of social control. So was, was that something that happened? It really wasn't difficult to get alcohol and cigarettes during the ban. But obviously, the prices go through the roof. Oh, okay. The sad thing about that is the people, the poorer people in South Africa, um, you know, there's a lot of poverty here. So they were forced to pay three, four times what they would normally pay for cigarettes and alcohol. So, you know, that meant less food on the table, less medication being bought, etc. So it, in, in, in my eyes, it just it, it completely backfired. Um, like you say, bootlegging just became rife everywhere throughout South Africa. Um, so it didn't really solve anything. It just made things worse, I think. And, I mean, you talk about the enormous poverty that there is in South Africa and those sprawling townships, uh, which, yeah, where people do it really tough all the time. And I, I imagine that in a pandemic where it's so hard for people to find or to continue with paid work that the situation was pretty dire for a lot of people. No, it's shocking. I mean, we, we set up a um, – we've got a, one of our restaurants is in a one of the wine regions called Franschhoek, and Franschhoek is made up of – wineries, wine estates, um, hotels, guest houses, restaurants. So it's completely reliant on tourism. So you can imagine the unemployment that's hit Franschhoek. Um, and there's quite a large, there's two large townships just outside of Franschhoek. And there was a feeding program set up, which we got involved in very early stages, like in the first weeks of lockdown. And we were feeding um, a couple of hundred families. And now it's... Uh, gone into, we're feeding over 10,000 families now. So, I mean, it, it, it's got really, really bad. So a whole load of restaurateurs, we got together, we opened our kitchens, um, and we started cooking for the, obviously, the less fortunate. Um, and a lot of it was obviously sponsored by um, donations from local farmers and some of our suppliers and local people living in France. It's been actually fantastic, but it's a it's a massive um, problem. So it's been left to the restaurateurs to step in and help. What kind of government assistance is there, whether it's for businesses or for individuals and families? There's very little. I mean, we don't have the social structure um, that you guys would have in Australia or in the, in Europe or America. We just don't have it here. There's very few people pay tax here, so it's very limited on what um, government can offer. Um, so it's it's been a, a real struggle just to get unemployed unemployment benefits for our staff, to get um, payments. Um, there was a fund set up, Tears Fund, which was a a relief fund for the tourism industry. But it was it's been so difficult. I mean, we're still waiting for payments for some of our, some of our staff from April. Um, so it's 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 been it's been a real challenge. Um, people have been really struggling. Mm. It's uh, This pandemic has turned some people who were not previously into activists and advocates for various um, communities or you know, business sectors. Have you? Has that happened with you? Yeah, we started a campaign a couple of weeks ago, um, probably about five weeks ago, when they extended the lockdown. So we were expecting to come out of this lockdown about five or six weeks ago. 
and I got it extended. Um, and I started up a small, just amongst the, our restaurants, I got our chefs to stand outside each restaurant with the number of jobs, take a photograph with a sign with the number of jobs um, that we offer in each of these restaurants um, with the hashtag job saves lives. And it just went viral overnight, basically. And it ended up in a mass demonstration throughout South Africa on the streets where everybody took the furniture of the restaurants and we put them on the streets and blocked roads and everything. And we got massive media attention. But um, government really didn't um, listen to us. And then a group of us got together and took the government to court to try and get this alcohol ban lifted. Um, and that was supposed to be last Tuesday. We were supposed to be in court, but they postponed it for two weeks. So obviously, now that they've lifted it, that case has been thrown out. But we put a hell of a lot of money into it. So it's been very frustrating. But uh, yeah, we've been very active. And we will continue to be if, if they change the rules again. Liam, do you think that what you did actually did have an, have an effect on the rule that just was changed yesterday? Possibly. Um, you know, I was, I was one of many people who set up different things. People in the tourism industry set up demonstrations, um, people in the alcohol industry, etc. But I would imagine I'd like to think it played a small role. Um, we definitely did get a lot of attention. Like I said, we were on quite a few of the uh, news bulletins in the evenings. We got massive radio coverage. We had, um, we were in every one of the newspapers. So, like, we were, we were definitely a pain in the ass to them. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> no, we were, for sure. I even had a, a, a Zoom meeting with one of the ministers. Um, so, yeah, we, we definitely um, got the attention, some attention. But, like I say, it fell on deaf ears. Well, or maybe, you know, maybe it started a whisper and eventually it got into the right ears and eventually they, they made a change. But it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, just give us a little bit of the context of South Africa and its political system. I mean, I'm not expecting a dissertation, but just um, in broad strokes, like it's... Um, I mean, I know that there's quite a lot of corruption, um, that it's the system isn't always uh, watertight and ship-shape. No, it's not. I mean, corruption cor corruption is a huge, huge issue here within government. It's And it's really been exposed. I mean, we've always known it's been there, but it's been really exposed during this lockdown. Um, obviously, you know, in third world countries where there's poverty, wherever there's poverty, there's crime. So um, crime has definitely gone on the increase over the last five months because people... You know, where they normally get the, their normal, um, you know, if, even if they're selling the big issue on the streets or if they're begging on the streets, whatever it is, there's been nobody on the streets to support them. Um, so crime has definitely gone through the roof in the last couple of months. Um, and then, you know, poverty, is, is, it just gets worse. You know, no, you know, like they say, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's definitely the case here at the moment. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Um, and it's 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 very sad to see. You can see it very. Uh, I can see it in Cape Town. Like we've always had an element of begging on the streets, but it's really got out of control now. There is a lot of people really really desperate out there. Uh, it's really tough. And I think the the other thing is when you've got a pandemic, the rich may get richer, the poor get poorer, but the poor also get sick, don't they? No, absolutely, a hundred percent. 
but like I said, they seem to, you know, the numbers aren't as big as other, um, other countries. But the problem we have here, you know, when you live in a township, and I've been to a lot of these townships, and they live in horrendous conditions. You know, they, they, they live in shacks, and there's often six or eight people living in a shack, and they live on top of each other. So to do the whole social distancing thing just doesn't, doesn't happen. Um, and then for them to get to work, they're piled into taxis where there's about 18 people in the one vehicle. So, you know, this, to, the spreading of it, it's just, um, it's very hard to avoid in, if you're living in a situation like that. You know, we're fortunate where we, we can um, practice social distancing, but a lot of people can't in these third world countries and in, in, in the conditions they live in which is, it's, it's shocking. It's really sad to see. Tell us what you're doing in Cape Town, like, um, wh- and tell us about the food scene or what, what it was like at least before March. Look, the food scene here is brilliant. It's, it's, it's very, very cool. I've been here about 15, 16 years now. And it, it reminds me a lot of when I first went to Australia. Um, I went to Australia, I don't know, over 30 years ago. When I arrived there, I'd just come from London, um, which was probably one of the hottest cities in the world at the time for food. And then I arrived in Australia. And in the 15 years I was in Australia, I saw it just change and evolve, you know, with the Tetsoyas and the Neil Perrys and the Matt Morans of the world. And we've the same sort of thing here. I arrived here 15 years ago. And over the last 15 years, I've just seen it getting better and better and better. The produce we get here is amazing now. Um, <clears throat> The, the food scene is very, very healthy here. I mean, it's brilliant. But obviously, the pandemic has caused a lot of restaurants to shut. But there's, we, we do have amazing restaurants. Um, we've got some serious talent in South Africa as far as chefs and restaurateurs and winemakers. I mean, our wine industry here is incredible as well. So it's a, it's a fantastic industry. Um, I mean, you could eat out here every night for a year and you still wouldn't visit all the great restaurants that we've got. So it's, it's, it's really, it's great. But like I say, it's very dependent on tourism. So it's very seasonal, um, especially in Cape Town, not so much in Johannesburg, but in Cape Town, it's very, very seasonal. We definitely have summer and winter months. Um, and summer obviously is our peak season. So, I mean, how do you see things progressing over the next few months do you imagine that tourists, yeah, it's hard. To, it's, I mean, <laughs> looking into a crystal ball is very difficult, I think, anywhere in the world right now. I'm quite nervous about reopening. I'm excited to reopen, but I'm actually quite nervous because it's completely unknown. Uh, obviously, the borders, our international borders are closed. So that's quite scary, um, especially for the restaurants we have in the winelands because we really do rely on uh, tourists for that. But um, the locals have been amazing in supporting us throughout lockdown. Um, there's been various different um, things set up. Which I didn't get involved in them, but buying vouchers for restaurants and buying a case of wine from wineries, which would give you a discount at particular restaurants and whatever. So there's a lot of really good initiatives going on. Um, so, you know, hopefully... We can survive on the local market, but normally in winter, we 
normally in winter, you know, it is completely a local market that we rely on. So um, if everybody who has said to me they're going to come to our restaurants when we reopen comes, we'll be extremely busy. So let's hope so. <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> I hope they do. Let's hope they're hungry and I'm sure they'll be excited to come out and have a glass of wine in a restaurant. No, absolutely. I mean, we may have to look at, we've been fortunate enough that we haven't had to let any staff go through this pandemic. So we currently have about 220 people on the payroll. Normally we would have in high season, we'd have about 300 people on the payroll. Um, we might have to look at short times. So they work reduced days. They might go to a three or four day a week. Um, so we, we're just going to have to play it by ear and see what happens. Uh, but, the, you know, our whole team, we've been in co constant contact with them throughout the lockdown. Um, we've stayed in touch with everybody. We've given them updates. As soon as we got news and information, we would pass it on to them. So we just work as a team and we'll see what happens. I mean, at the moment, we're planning two new restaurants. So we've, we're actually opening two new restaurants. So, you know, I can dilute some of my staff, current staff, into the new businesses. Um, I must be a bit crazy opening two new restaurants, but I, I, feel, I feel very, very positive. I have to. I mean, I, if I'm not positive, then the wheels will fall off. Well, you're the, the leader of the group. I mean, that's a big burden, not just in practical terms, in terms of all the things you have to think about, but in emotional terms. Like, how do you take on that burden and lead your team through something like this? Oh, look, I mean, we, like I say, we, you know, we've got five restaurants here. I've got a small restaurant in Barcelona as well. You can't run um, five, six restaurants on your own. We've got an amazing team, um, our, our senior team, and some of them are partners in the business. So I'm a big fan of rewarding people for what they do. So we've got... Um, quite a few of our staff who have shares in our business that we've given, you know, and they are, they're very strong. They, you know, we sit as a group and we make decisions. It's not just Liam says, and that's what happens. We sit around a table. There's about eight of us who make the final decisions for all our businesses. Um, so I haven't had to carry this completely on my own. I've got, you know, amazing support with my wife, which she's very involved in the business and then all the senior staff and our managers. So I haven't carried it on my own. But, um, yeah, I mean, we surround ourselves with brilliant people. Without them, I mean, it would be extremely difficult. But even so, I mean, have there been some really dark times through all this? Um, <laughs> normally on the first of each month when you have to pay, when it end of month and you have to pay rents and staff and that and whatever, you know, all the overheads continued not as obviously as high as if you were operating, but the overheads are still there. You know, you still have to pay electricity. You still, you know, we were running that soup kitchen that was costing us 67,000, 60 or 70,000 rand a month that came out of our pocket. Um, you know, so dark times is when you, when you look at your bank account every month and it's just getting smaller and smaller and smaller and there's nothing coming in. It's all just going out. So that was quite, you know, quite scary. Sometimes in two of the restaurants I borrowed from banks just to keep them afloat. For me, it's not an option just to close the restaurants. There's too much work has gone into them um, and there's too many people rely on them. So it's not an option to close for me. Did you use the, um, the time when the restaurants were closed to rethink the way that you did anything? 
Yeah, look, we've 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 had a um, obviously we've had lots of time on our hand to to really look at the business and look how we operated and things that we could do better, etc. Um, you know, during um, lockdown, we started working on a whole product brand from all the different restaurants, which has done really really well. So now we've actually hired a graphic designer and we are going to expand that and keep it um, and that'll become a, a big part of our business and we're going to build a production kitchen where we produce all of this food so out of you know out of bad comes good but yes we definitely did reassess how we operate and what we do but there's not much I want to change to be honest you know I'm not going to open <clears throat> I'm not going to open up and offer specials and cut price deals to try and get people back into the restaurant because I believe anyone who comes to our restaurant wants the same experience that they had prior to COVID. And that's what we're going to give them. I'm not going to reduce my prices. My overheads are still the same. If not, they'll probably be a bit higher. Um, so we just have to carry on and do what we're well known for. Um, you know, some of our restaurants, all of our restaurants are very highly rated. So I'm not going to change much at all. I mean, obviously, we've got to put all the protocols in, the social distancing and sanitizing and temperature control and all this sort of stuff. But apart from that, it's business is business is normal for me. Because one of your main dining concepts is a is a tapas for two concept, if I'm right. So do you, with things like shared dishes, snacky food, is, have you thought that you would uh, need to adjust any of those because people won't feel comfortable sharing or anything like that? Look, I think most people who go out dining are, you know, it's either like a husband, a wife, or a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Um, so I don't think it's going to be a massive issue. Where people aren't comfortable with sharing food, then we will just, we'll plate it individually. Um, but the food style and the concept will stay the same. Um, so, yeah, we'll adapt to, we'll, we'll do it on a customer base. Every customer who comes in, we'll just treat them as they want to be treated. If they want to share it, that's great. We'll be business as normal. If they don't, we'll just do individual plates. And they can sort it out for themselves once it gets to the table. What about the physical layout of the restaurants and in terms of people being close to other people? Is there anything, have you thought about doing anything differently there? Look, we've taken a few tables out of each restaurant just to give more spacing. In some restaurants, we've introduced private dining rooms that we haven't had before for people who would be more comfortable just sitting on their own without being surrounded by people they don't know. So we've introduced a couple of private dining rooms. Um, where we could, we've extended kitchen spaces so chefs have more space to work so they're not on top of each other. So we've done everything we can within, you know, within reason. Um, you know, normally... By nature, kitchens are smaller and the floor space is bigger. Obviously, that's where the revenue is generated. So we, we've taken as much precaution as we can, but there is only so much you can do. Um, like I said, we'll probably reduce the amount of staff per shift because we won't be doing the same numbers. Um, and that means they go on to short time, but at least they keep their job. Um, and then, yeah, and then hopefully within a few months, we just honestly get back to normal and we can fill those restaurants up again. I hope so. Do you think there's any chance that out of this crisis there'll be a positive change for South Africa? Um, I hope so. I think um, a lot of people have woken up, especially um, the less fortunate who've, who 
I think they've actually seen what their government is really about. And, you know, all these broken promises and the way they've been treated throughout this pandemic by the government. I hope, I hope there will be a change. I think we've got elections coming up next year and I would be very surprised if there isn't massive changes next year. Um, you know, there's been a lot of promises for the last 26 years here and nothing's really changed. It gets worse, actually. The corruption gets, corruption gets worse, money gets misspent. Um, I think wrong people in positions, people in power in positions that they shouldn't be purely because they've been put there because of who they are, who they know or whatever. So I do hope it changes, I really do. We need someone, we need someone like um, the New Zealand Prime Minister over here to sort us out. <laughs> I think everyone wants to clone Jacinda Ardern. We need someone tough. We need a woman. <laughs> well. We need a woman to run this country. That, oh, obviously, women should be running the world. We all know that. Um, I think so. I totally agree with you. Liam, when I, And kitchens. Yeah, well, just in all positions of power, let's, let's just find <laughs> the women. Um, Liam, when, when, I, when I come to Cape Town, which I haven't been to, I have been to Johannesburg and around there, but I haven't been to Cape Town. It, I just love looking at images of it. It's such a physically beautiful city. Which of your restaurants are you going to send me to first and what am I going to eat? Oh, no, you have to go to all of them. I'll take you to all of them. <laughs> um, no, you have to experience them all because they're all very different. You know, we've got a concept, but the changes in every single one of them and the locations of them are stunning. I mean, I've got two that are in the city um, in beautiful old buildings. Um, and then the other three are on different wine estates. So we've got one in Constantia, which is just outside the city, overlooking the whole Constantia Valley and back into the city. It's quite, that's probably our busiest restaurant. And then we've got another one out in Franchhoek, um, on a wine estate called Maison. So it's Chef's Warehouse at Maison. And that is just, that's probably my favorite place to go. I'll often drive up there on the weekends and just walk through the vineyards up there. And we've got horses up there and we've got pigs and we've got sheep and we've got big vegetable gardens. It's just, it's good for the soul to go up there and recharge the batteries. Um, but I'll take you to the mall. They're stunning, all of them. <laughs> okay. I don't have a favorite, but I, I enjoy Maison. It, I really, you just get out of town. It's about 75 kilometers out of Cape Town. Okay. And you drive through, you know, all these vineyards and it's just quite stunning. Yeah, all right. We'll start there. That sounds great. Um, now, I know you've got, to, you've got to get in the car and drive down and sort out a few things without, without wanting to freak you out. What kinds of things are running through your mind about what you've got to get done before Tuesday? Um, obviously, we need to, I mean, we won't reopen on Tuesday. We'll be lucky if we get open by Thursday. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing all our staff. Some of them I haven't seen for five months. Um, obviously, we need to go in and do a massive spring clean. I mean, we have maintained the restaurants throughout, but we need to now go in and physically polish every piece of glassware and cutlery and the whole thing. Um, we need to place orders. It's tricky. We don't know how many customers we're going to do. Um, I don't know. There's quite a few challenges, but... I'm excited, but I'm nervous because you just don't know what to expect right now. But it will be, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Um, I think, you know, we need to get the PR machine going again, get it out there that we're open, etc., for business. We need, 
Yeah, I mean, need to sit and discuss with my landlords, obviously, because we're trading again, we need to renegotiate our rents because there's no way we can pay the rents we were paying before lockdown. And I've been very lucky. We've got great landlords. Um, so it's just all details like that that we need to put into place. And obviously, you know, our staff are going to be... I've, I've noticed some of the, the staff that I have seen are, you know, they're not the same... They're not in the same frame of mind. So it's getting them motivated again, getting them, you know, they've sit, sat around for five months doing nothing. Now, all of a sudden, they're going back to 12, 12 hours a day. Um, you know, to get them motivated again is going to be quite a challenge. So we've got, we've got a big challenge ahead of us. But, um, but we'll be good. We'll be fine. I, I'm so excited for you to swing the doors open and to welcome people into the restaurants again. I think those customers that come in are going to be looked after so incredibly well. They're just going to have the best time. And that, yeah. how sweet is that first sip of wine going to be? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We've all been drinking wine. Just because it was bad didn't mean we didn't have it. But I know, sure. it'll be, I'll tell you what's going to be sweet is taking the money for that first bottle of wine. That's what's going to be sweet. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> no, it'll be lovely to have people in our dining spaces again. It really will. I've missed that. Um, and, and a lot of, you know, over the years, a lot of our guests have become really good friends. So it's going to be great to see all of them. Definitely. Liam, I really wish you all the best uh, with, the, with the week to come and the months ahead. I'd love to check back in with you and see how things are going and, of course, to continue to plan my trip to Cape Town. But Yes, you must, you must definitely do it. Okay. <laughs> I'm definitely doing it. Wonderful. Thanks so much for coming and having a chat today. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Take care. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We wanna hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>